Hi, I'm Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh. In over 20 years of practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, the most important thing that I've learned is that healing is a journey we take together. So on this podcast, I'll be demystifying Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, showing how these simple ancient practices are the keys to unlocking a healthy modern life. We are all healing catalysts because healing starts within. It starts with you and it starts right now. This is a Soulfire production. Episode number 80. Hey everyone, it's so great to be back with you again this week. I know we didn't have an episode last week, which was unexpected, but life sometimes has a way of throwing us curveballs. And that definitely happened for me last week, which is why I couldn't get an episode done in time to go live last week. Sorry about that, but I'm back now. You see, my father had a fall and ended up needing surgery for a broken leg. He's doing great now that he's in physical rehab and he should be home in the next week or so. And while it was a really big scare for my family, my dad is 80 years young. It was also a reminder of how important our relationships are, how important they are for our health. You know, I found that my emotions were so high with worry and fear for my dad's recovery, because I know how important it is right now in these few days after surgery for him to get back on his feet and to feel confident walking. I found that my mind was scattered trying to take care of so many things for him and for my mom and balancing that with a fast approaching book deadline and moving back into my home after eight months of flood renovation. Yep, my relationship with my dad as his daughter has always definitely had an impact on my health. And so as we move into the month of February, our new intention is relationships and our health. We'll be exploring how all forms of love and relationships influence our health, how to create strong love in our relationships and how to make friends as adults. And so today I'm joined by Bella Gandhi, dating and relationship expert and founder of Smart Dating Academy and TEDx speaker. After Bella graduated with dual degrees in finance and German from the University of Illinois, she worked in mergers and acquisitions for Arthur Anderson before joining her family's chemicals manufacturing company, where she divided her time between Chicago and Europe to help expand the business. Well, she did a great job because her family was able to sell that business to a Fortune 500 company, and she was asked to remain its leader, quickly climbing the corporate ladder. But Bella had a feeling that her career would take a sharp turn very soon because she discovered her love of matchmaking and providing dating advice to her friends and family. And she was right. In 2009, she launched Smart Dating Academy, one of the nation's top date coaching firms. As a result, Bella's expertise is widely sought after, and she has been featured on most national and local media outlets, including Good Morning America, Steve Harvey, The Today Show, Kelly Clarkson, Access, ABC, NBC, Fox, and more. In our conversation, Bella and I talk about how to find strong love and then keep it. Bella shares why finding your, quote, elevator person is the key to successfully finding strong love. 
She shares common dating mistakes to avoid and gives us a few key dating tips based on her 15 plus years experience as a dating coach. We also discuss the most common reasons she's seen that causes relationships to end and how we can keep love strong once we find it. Bella also gives us a few simple and powerful habits we can adopt to strengthen our relationships, both romantic and platonic. You know, Bella and I have been circling each other for years with many overlaps in our worlds here in Chicago, but we've never really had a chance to sit down and have a longer conversation. And this was the first time we did that. And I really feel like I've known her for years. She's smart and funny and so knowledgeable and so thoughtful and insightful. Someone I feel I'll become really good friends with in the future and someone that I know you will love as much as I do. I'm so happy to share my conversation with Bella Gandhi about how to find strong love and keep it as we explore relationships and our health. Hi, Bella. It is so great to have you on the podcast. I'm thrilled to have you and to talk to you today. So thank you for doing this with me. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited and honored. Thank you for having me. Oh no, absolutely. You know, we've met a few times here in Chicago at different events and we've talked briefly but we've never really had a chance to talk about, you know, professional types of stuff or even to have any conversations about health and wellness, self-help, self-improvement. So I thought this would be a wonderful time to have you on the podcast since we are talking about relationships this month in the month of February and really this idea that relationships affect our health. Everything in our lives affects our health. That's the perspective in Ayurveda and relationships is a big piece of that. And I thought I had to reach out to you because you are a relationship and dating expert here in Chicago. And I thought it would be really fun to, you know, get your perspective of not just, you know, how to find love and strong love, but more also to how to keep strong love. And so I thought we could talk about maybe both sides of the coin, if that would be okay with you and kind of dive into both areas. I would love nothing more. Okay, that's great. And last year, you were one of the TEDx speakers here in Chicago. So I got the pleasure of listening to you speak there. And I was really struck. Actually, I kind of filed it away in my head that I needed to invite you on this podcast because you have a really interesting philosophy around finding a romantic partner. This idea of finding your elevator person, I think, is what you talked about in the TEDx talk. So let's talk about that. Let's just start there. So, yeah, I mean, we've been coaching people, Avanti, since 2009, and I started doing this for myself back in the 90s when I was a college kid and the pressure of being a South Asian female and you need to find a husband. I'm like, how do you find a husband? And I grew up with a poster in my house. My dad is a chemical engineer, then turned entrepreneur, but we grew up with this weird, janky poster like from Spencer Gifts in our house in a black metal frame. But the title of it was 21 Suggestions for Success. And the author was this guy named H. Jackson Brown Jr., whoever this is. But rule number one for success, marry the right person. This one decision will determine 90% of your happiness or 90% of your misery. Then rule number two goes on And it says, work at something you love and that's worthy of you. I have the poster in my office to this day. And so I'm looking over and reading it. And and when you think about it, 
if rule number one written by a Caucasian male someplace, you know, in the (laughs) 70s says, you know, the lid to your pot is the most important thing. And it's 90% of your happiness or 90% of your misery. It's like, geez, we're never taught how to do this. We're taught medicine and biology and physiology and chemistry and physics and finance and accounting. But are we ever taught how to find love, how to be love, how to be a loving partner? We're not taught any of those things. So I took it upon myself in college as a business student to figure it out when it's like, wow, if I've got to get married by like 25 or 26, how the hell am I going to do this? So I put my own little model together that worked. And I look like many of you listening, I had bad dating patterns. If there was a red flag dude in the vicinity, bring him my way. Cause that was my jam. So I got myself out of the hole because I figured the common denominator in all of these messes is me. I held the mirror up to myself and I figured out what was I looking for? I was looking for dysfunctional things, looking for, you know, butterflies in my stomach, all this excitement and things that landed me flat on my back, looking up at the ceiling going, oh, okay, that hurt all over again. And so um, I put a little model together in my cluelessness, nerdy business student, who are the people like, what are, what are all the commonalities in the relationships that I've had? What drew me to this person? What worked? What didn't work? What was his responsibility? What was mine? Then I started to make this list of who are the people in my life that make me happiest? And who's the first person I want to call in the morning and in the evening? And it was my best friend, Andy. Like, and my dad's like, how are you best friends with this guy? Like, that's not normal. And I'm like, he's like a girl. He's not, he's like, I can tell him anything. So I realized through making this list of the people that make me happiest that he was at the top of my list. And so it allowed me different lenses when I looked at him. And I'm like, okay. So a year later, we started dating. There's a lot in between that I will not bore you with all the machinations of this. But suffice it to say, we started dating a year later. We've now been married 26 years. And I started to teach all of my friends my little nerdy model while I was working at Arthur Anderson and M&A. And they all started to get married. They all started to get out of toxic relationships. So when I gave this TED Talk, it was exactly what I had been doing. Since I was a very, like a 20 year old and teaching people, how do you actually look for relationships that make you happy? Evolution wires us to look for the wrong thing. The South Asian cultures can point us toward bio data. Look at somebody who is socioeconomically (laughs) correct in your education and you need a doctor or a lawyer and right. And, and so many cultures are like that, but ultimately we want so much more out of partnership today than historical cultures did, right? We use words like, I want my best friend. I want my soulmate. I want a lover. I want like, la, 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 la. And we're not wired for that. And 50% of first marriages end in divorce, 67% of second marriages, 74% of third marriages. So what we're doing isn't working. So looking at the concept of elevator people, the people that make you happy in your life, make a list of those people and why. And that's what you need in a relationship to be happy. It's a very simple yet revolutionary concept. So revolutionary that we've had zero divorces in 14 years. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. I love that. I love that. And you know, I love this for so many reasons. First of all, because you came up with it from your own experience. And that I think is always the best way to solve problems, right? We solve it for ourselves and then it ends up helping lots of people which is exactly what you've done, which is beautiful. But I think like there's more to is it. Mother of invention, right? Exactly, exactly. But I think what's even more interesting about it is that 
you took it upon yourself to sit down and reflect, right? Not to just keep doing the same old thing, right? To say, okay, I've had all these failed relationships. What's the common denominator? It's me. Okay, so now let me look at me. Let me look at me. Now let's look at all those other people. Yes, you can look at, oh, maybe there was a common denominator in the types of people I'm you know, choosing or have a checklist with or whatever it is, right? Everyone has that checklist in their head of the perfect partner. But it was you looking at yourself, right? Reflecting and saying, how am I a part of this? What am I adding to this? What am I doing? What am I looking for that maybe isn't the best for me? So I love that because so much of what I teach in Ayurveda is about this awareness, right? Oh, Ayurveda is about living with conscious awareness, right? And looking at how everything in your life is affecting your health, is affecting you, is affecting how you're showing up in the world. And so what you just described in figuring out that you needed to look for an elevator person in finding your partner, that is exactly that introspection of that awareness of looking at how are things connected. I was so struck by your talk when you did it last year, just thinking, wow, that is a really lovely, concise way of maybe putting together something that can be very difficult sometimes to understand and to think about, but you made it so easy to understand. It's like, oh yeah, of course, the people that make me happy, that's what I should be looking for in a partner. So I love that. I love that. Thank you. And it's work, you know, and that's the thing. Like we have some, we have thousands of people that have gone through our program at Smart Dating Academy that, and and I'm not saying it's easy for people to abide or subscribe to this model because evolution points us the wrong way. Hollywood and Bollywood feed us a load of garbage. Social media adds to that mass and we're so demagnetized. We don't know what's North or South at this point, right? And then you add South Asians and we're like, you know, ABCDs and we don't know what direction to turn in. So it's, it's a very simplified model that, you know, there's a lot more to what we do with people, but that's kind of one of the first little exercises that we do, but really helping to understand the common denominator is me and maybe it's prior trauma. Attachment also plays a huge role. How were, you know, what was our family of origin like and what were we like with our family of origin? Or maybe early relationships derailed us. There's so much that we experience that can have a profound impact on how we choose our romantic partners that we're not even aware of. We think it just happens and chemistry is just a thing. Most chemistry is just familiarity. Ooh, that's mic drop. Most. (laughs) <laughs> Say that again. Most chemistry is familiarity. Yeah. Think of, I mean, I can point to a thousand different examples, right? Even if I feel chemistry with certain people, let's say male, female friendships, whatever. Right. It's because, and I can be really like, okay, who does this person remind me of? It's not like soul fire chemistry like this. It's just, it's this excitement that this person reminds you of somebody from your past, or maybe reminds you of a different version of yourself. And Mm. we mistake that familiarity for long-term relationship okayness. And that is not the case, especially if you've had a bad picker in the past. If you're feeling chemistry with someone right away, my team's like, oh, hold on. How many red flags are we going to find right now? Right. This is a good point. Is chemistry 
a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, because what you're saying is that maybe the chemistry is sort of this fleeting, it's familiarity with something good or bad or someone good or bad or whatever in your life. And that may not actually be the best partner for you. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. So chemistry is not a measure. Lust is nature's way of tricking us into attachment. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it's like, and we overvalue this physical connection, right? But we're not looking for the things that will potentially make for a good relationship, a good partnership and marriage, if that's what you're looking for, right? And so it's like, wow, I just had this certain je ne sais quoi with this person. It's like, well, how'd that work out for you? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting because everything you're saying, it, these are things probably that I subconsciously was aware of. I mean, that doesn't even make sense, subconsciously aware of. But when I was in my 20s, because I have now been married to my husband for 26 years as well. And it was sort of the same thing. He's my best friend, was my best friend. And it was sort of like, is he perfect? Of course not. I'm not perfect either. But I was always, I always was wired that way to not look for perfection because I knew I wasn't perfect. Right. So I already had that idea in my head of this whole idea of, you know, chemistry of lust that's fleeting. But I thought maybe, okay, I just happened and realize that, but I don't know. It's, it's interesting that that is actually what is true in all of the people, the thousands of people that you've helped that the chemistry, the lust is what fades and that it's really this other piece of who elevates you, who makes you happy, who, who has those qualities that lift you up that that's the most important thing. So this idea of like, oh, marry your best friend. Everyone always jokes about that. And it's like, oh, that's so stupid. But it's actually probably not so stupid. It's really true. Well, and remember, what you focus on grows. Mm. And if you're focusing on the qualities that elevate you, love starts to come to you in an unexpected package. Because Mm -hmm. now you're prioritizing, maybe your elevator list is people that are supportive. They have my back. They're my cheerleaders. They are really kind. They're very welcoming. I can tell them anything. And suddenly when you start to look for those characteristics, instead of he's got to be six feet tall and make six figures and blah, 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 blah. Suddenly you're playing the long game, Mm -hmm. right? That other stuff, at the end of the day, if you don't have that emotional intimacy, the rest of it is meaningless long-term. Right. And that's why our divorce statistics look the way they do. And it's not only in the States, it's happening in India, it's happening everywhere. As we want more out of marriage, we don't have a path forward. And that is what we're trying to do is give people the education and that path forward. So they stay out of those destructive statistics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so what are, I mean, you've kind of touched on them, but what are some of the most common dating mistakes that you have come across. So, you know, in this idea of finding that strong love, that partnership that you're looking for, what are some of the common dating mistakes that you've seen? You know, I think that people look at people as disposable, especially in the world of dating apps now, that because we have all these options, we can swipe right or, you know, see who's in our inbox, we rely even more on chemistry and a photograph to decide whether we're going to say yes or no 
to somebody. So I think a lot of times back to the chemistry point, when we feel a comfort and we feel an ease, but we don't feel that spark, you know, whatever that je ne sais quoi is we're looking for, we throw people back to the pond. Well, you know, I'm just not feeling chemistry. I'm like, you know what? You'd let a damn bottle of wine breathe for 30 minutes before you drink it. But a date? No, right. you got to feel it instantly. That right. And so, so we just, we don't have the right rubric. So don't throw people back to the curb too quickly. If they have red flags and they seem crazy, listen, on a date, crazy cannot hide for more than 15 minutes. So if someone's <laughs> bananas, okay, that's fine. Don't go out on a date with them again. But if they seem nice and normal and you have a good time and you have things in common, you may not feel the attraction, go out again. You never know. Sometimes the real first date is the second date. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting you're saying this because I think in this world of like fast, 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 instantaneous, uh, instant gratification, right? With these apps, with all the social media, everything is all about the first three seconds, right? Or whatever it is. And so I think we've become so programmed to think yeah. that if we don't see it right away in the person or feel it, whatever that means, then forget it. I'm going to move on. It's like, I'm going to keep scrolling, right? Exactly. It's, yeah. It's come into that. So, okay. So that's one of the common things. So what are some tips that you have then for people? I mean, this is one that you said is that, you know, don't, don't rely on the chemistry. What are some other dating tips that you can give the listeners? Take things slow and steady, right? You can't, our clients, you know, we've got graphs. This is what happens when you have a finance person turned into a dating coach. We have healthy relationship trajectories and unhealthy ones. And we're helping people with a diversification strategy, build a funnel in your dating life. And I think so many people, to your point, Avanti, they want that instant gratification. So as soon as somebody looks decently normal after a second or the third date, they just want to jump in, right? Both feet. And it, and what happens then is you're often trying to push a round peg through a square hole. We start to mm -hmm. become less objective. Whenever you only have one of something, you overlook its flaws you sweep red flags under the rug, right? We make excuses. And that's how people stay in these relationships for too long. So jumping into something too quickly is a mistake with our clients um, at Smart Dating. Nobody's getting into exclusive relationships until 15 to 20 dates over three to four months. And that's dating slowly. And that's dating with a coach and a guide at their side, verifying their gut. We have dating scorecards. We have tools like this serious business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. So slow and steady. That's, that's a really good tip because again, in this world of fast, 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 it's all about fast, fast, fast. And it's not taking your time to get to know the person, to allow that spark to happen. Right. You know, it's, it, it's really reminding me so much of you know, my parents, I don't know if this is true for your parents also, but, you know, having an arranged marriage in India, you know, okay, that's a whole nother system. Families are involved. There's vetting, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, our parents, my parents, they went into it knowing that that would kindle slowly. And it has, they've been married for 52 years, you know? Um, and so that's sort of what's, re it's reminding me of that. It's like that slow and steady and give it time and it'll happen. Now, I'm not saying that that's the right way for everyone, but it, it's a little bit reminiscent of that for me. Oh my God. I, I don't know how your parents were. Mine met on a Sunday. 
they were engaged on Thursday and they were married three days later. So it was like, you know, commitment first, then love. And I think that there's so many good, there's so many great things about having families involved in the process, right? Because your family knows the family and the history and they know that family. But I think one of the mistakes in our cultures is we don't understand the dynamics between those two people right? Are you marrying somebody that is very volatile, that has narcissistic tendencies, right? That doesn't know how to navigate conflict. And suddenly you're in an abusive relationship with no way out. And I think that if I have something I would love for arranged marriages to sort of move forward, it's very much at the model that we have. It's that thing slowly, right? You can get the bio data correct. The education can look good. The family can look good. The da 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 da. The height, the income, and and quite frankly, dating apps are sort of bio data based. They this are point, right. We're they looking are. at height and zip code and your education and your background and your religion and and but ultimately, it's what is the character of this person like? What happens when things go sideways? How does this person navigate conflict? Are they angry? Do they stonewall you? Are they cold? Are they abusive? Those are relationship deal breakers. And nobody talks about this stuff. Right. You'll right. make it work. No, you won't. Do you want to live a miserable life? Right. Right. Thank you for saying that because I'm not trying to romanticize arranged marriages. It was also at a different time, 50 something years ago. Like, you know, it was a different place, a different time, a different era. That doesn't mean that these issues aren't still there or didn't exist for a lot of our parents and our parents' friends, but it is completely different now. Absolutely. So thank you for saying that. I really, I appreciate that you, that you said that. So let's move on to keeping strong love, right? So we both have been in our partnerships for many years. That may or may not be true for many of the listeners, but you know, you find someone, you a partner, you get married or you're just partnered with them, whatever your relationship setup is, how do you keep that, that love strong? And so what are some things that maybe let's start from the other side of it. What are common reasons that you've seen that a lot of longtime relationships end besides sort of what you've already spoken to the abusive relationships, the narcissistic, that kind of thing. But what are some other things that you've seen? I think a lot of it, Avanti, comes from navigating conflict badly, which shuts down communication. Mm -hmm. And once you shut down communication, you shut down your relationship. Then what happens? There's physical infidelity, financial infidelity, stonewalling. We grow apart. We're roommates. And I think ultimately so much of this comes down to knowing we will have conflict, but how do we come to it? Are we both going to come to it saying, my goal is not to hurt you, right? We have conflict. We have conflict kind of rules of engagement in our house, even with our teenagers, right? We have, anybody gets to press pause on an argument and our catchword for each other or the phrase that we use, I tell my kids, you're going hard with your words. And Mm. as soon as they hear that, it's like, we're like boxers. This is what I would tell them since they were little. Boxers go back to their corners in between rounds because they have to take a break before they come back and fight. And we're going to go back to our corners. When someone starts saying mean things, anybody else can press pause. And it doesn't mean we're quitting the argument. It means we're going back to our corners. And I'm not 
joking or exaggerating when I tell you within 15 to 30 minutes, someone will go apologize to the other person without all of the wounds of the bad words, the hurtful things. And when you're married for 15, 20, 25 years, you know the buttons to push. Oh, for sure. And he knows the buttons to push. And we can go down those rabbit holes in seven seconds because it's so familiar. But instead, if in peacetime, you put together these strategies of saying, hey, when I hear you going hard, I'm just going to say, I feel like you're going hard. Let's press pause. And go back and physically go into different rooms. Go take a shower. Go watch TV. Cool your head. And it doesn't take long. And the, the things that you will avoid from a conflict standpoint, I know how I grew up in my household. There was volatility. There was stonewalling, right? And nobody had a voice in my house. I'm like, I don't want that to happen. I want everybody to have a voice. I want conflict to exist because conflict shouldn't be avoided. It gets us to a better place, but we need management systems for conflict. Mm -hmm. So the communication is really the number one thing that you see is, is the issue. And communication in hard times. It's not like, how was your day? How was your day? Great. Okay. That's all well and good. I always say everybody's great when the sun is shining, but when shit goes sideways, what happened? Right. Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely true. I mean, and that's true in any relationship, right? Romantic or platonic, you know, parent to child, friends, siblings, anybody, right? It's, it's all about the communication that you have. Do you have communication? Are you actually talking? Are you just ignoring each other? Stonewall, like all of that. I think it's true in any relationship with another human being. And I also think it's, are you communicating internally with yourself about how you are in the world, right? So this goes back to your first point about that introspection of I'm the common denominator in this, in these, you know, bad relationships that I've had. Um, And also, so really looking at yourself and communicating with yourself, like, how am I showing up for other people? Am I communicating with people? Do I shut people out, right? All of those types of things. So it's not just Community that I mean, that's what's coming up for me as you're saying that it's not just the communication with other people, but it's also that internal dialogue that you have. 100%. And you have to have, you know, like self relational awareness, right? Like, what are my triggers? How do I react? What brings stuff up for me? What makes me angry? Why? And the more introspection you do on yourself, so often we point the mirror outwards. Well, when my partner says this, it triggers me. Why does it trigger you? Why? And when you dig in a little bit, I'm not saying you need to go into deep psychotherapy, sit with yourself with a notebook and a pen. Like what triggers me? What hurts my feelings? Why? You'll figure out the reason. And I promise you, it'll be one of the best exercises you do. Get to know yourself and your triggers. And then you can figure, and then you can talk to your partner. When you say this, it actually reminds me of when I was a kid. And all of a sudden, we didn't know how to navigate conflict well. And I can fight, flight, or freeze at that point. And I freeze because I don't know how to use my voice. And I know to you that feels like I'm being cold. Help me. Right, right. And so you've already touched on something. So what, what do you think are some of the factors or some of the strategies that help to keep our relationship strong, to keep that love strong? What are some things that 
you have seen and maybe what you tell your clients because you know you've had such a great track record no divorces in 15 years so obviously you're teaching your clients something that they're taking not just you know during their dating period but into their courtships and into their partnerships right in their relationships so what are some of those things would you say so i'm going to speak to women right now mm. i think women we have a diffuse awareness right we're always we're looking for how to fix things, how to make things right. We, you know, we're the primary nurturers by evolution. And what that does is it gives us this, and we're amazing. We fix things. We fix everybody's problems, right? For sure. But the problem with that can be every, our biggest strength can become our greatest weakness is we can, we can have a negativity bias, right? Because we're always looking for what's wrong. And so women often get accused of, oh, you're a nag, blah, blah, blah. But ultimately, what I would say is we can all do a better job of looking for what's good in our partners versus focusing on what they didn't do. How about for a week, you focus on what they do do. And every time they do something to serve you, to affirm you, that makes your life easier, pause and acknowledge that. Acknowledge your partner and watch how they light up like little boys. It's amazing. I was like, oh my God, like, it's so crazy. Our cabinets are broken and he's not doing anything about it. And I just, I'm like, can we just fix the cabinets? And I would moan and groan about this for weeks. Nothing happened. Then I was like, okay, you need to drink your own Kool-Aid. So one day he changed the light bulb over these cabinets. And I was like, you know what? It was amazing. I'm like, thank you for changing the light bulb. Everything looks so much brighter in here now. I didn't even realize it needed changing. I'm glad you saw that and it makes a difference. Mm -hmm. The next day, the cabinets were. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So this is as women, what we can do a better job at, right? As mm -hmm. looking for what's good, elevating people, elevate your partner, elevate the women in your life elevate your friends, look for what's good in people and watch the whole vibration of your sure. life and the world start yeah. to change. You want to affect relationships. That's how you do it. Elevate other people right. and watch how that elevation comes right back to you. Yeah, absolutely. What you put out is what you get back and you get it back a hundredfold. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. I love that. hundred percent. Yeah. So that's, that's a really, really good tip. You know, I was reading some things that you've written and you wrote something about 30 second hugs. Tell me about that. I thought that oh, was really cute and really interesting. I love this. I'm so glad you found that. That's a good find. I didn't even think about that, but it's amazing. So we, the, when you hug someone you love, you have a little juice of oxytocin that gets released, mm -hmm. right? And all of a sudden you just, and probably dopamine as well, but and we hug each other. Hi, hug, it's quick cheek, because we're always in a hurry, right? But here, if you actually stop and do a 30-second hug, it's a long time. It My is. son, when he was little, you know what he called them? Melty hugs. Mommy, when you give me that hug, I just melt. He's a freshman in high school now, and I still make him give me melty hugs. And you know what? He never says no. There's something magical that happens. He is a 14-year-old football player, basketball player, lacrosse, total bro, right? And yet 
You ask him for a melty hug and he'll come right in because he realizes what it makes him feel like. He's like, I just feel peaceful. Give your person. If you can't do 30 seconds, people, start with 10, okay? It's one, two, three, four. It's amazing. I did this on the Today Show with Craig Melvin and his wife, Lindsay. They actually did it on set. I couldn't believe it. And they Mm -hmm. went in and they did a 10-second hug. And he's like, this was amazing. I'm going to do this more often, right? When we build that emotional connection, that's how you keep your love alive. That's how you keep a physical spark alive. After 20 years, if you don't like the person you're with, the attraction will wane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that'll happen after two years, right? I Girl, mean, three. It, any, a year, right? I mean, again, it's five it's, minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right. We know that when physical touch does release oxytocin, which is the love hormone, it makes you feel good. And it makes you feel connected. And after all, this is all about connecting into other human beings. That's what relationships are about. When we're looking for partners or friendships, whatever relationship it is, we're looking for connection with another human being. Yeah. That's really what it comes down to. It's connection. It's some kind of, it's energetic, it's spiritual, it's physical, it's all emotional. It's all of those things. We want connection with other people. That's why we were put on this earth is to connect with other human beings, right? And so that physical connection can help to bring the other connection to. So I think that's a beautiful, beautiful practice. And I, you know, I actually have to practice that more with my husband and even with my friends, you know, because we're in such a, again, it comes back to this idea of such a fast world that we are in, this modern world that we're in. Everything is so fast, fast, fast. It's like you say hello to somebody, how are you? And you're already walking two steps away saying the words, how are you? It's like, did you stop to actually get the answer? You know, and I'm, I'm just as guilty of this. So I feel like this is another thing. You give someone a hug. Hello. It's a two second hug and then it's done, but maybe let's hold on a little longer. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on a little longer. Right. And this is of course with people that you love. I'm not saying if you're going on a first date, give someone a 30 second hug, right? So, (laughs) so no, start and end your date with a hug, but you know, it's more like the cousin hug, the way you would hug your cousin, right? You don't need like a pelvis to pelvis hug, right? Just like (laughs) hug the person for a few seconds, a little tighter than maybe a friend. And then that's it, right? Show that you're warm, show -hmm. that you enjoyed yourself. And that's all you have to do. Yeah. Yeah. And the other one that I was thinking about when I was writing these questions or thinking about this talk, you know, our conversation about keeping love strong, I think the other, you know, really important thing is to be realistic, right? I think that, again, we have this romanticized version of what love is going to be, you know, of romantic love anyway, of a partner, is that it's somebody who's going to come sweep you off your feet, right? And save the day and save you, right? And so, it's very easy to get into this, this subconscious mindset of what love will look like once you find it. And maybe it is, but most of the times it's not. And so I think it's, you know, being realistic about what love is. What, what do you tell your clients about that? You know, about realist being, you know, sort of 
real in how they're looking at this? I think we have a really realistic premise from when we start. We're not talking about rainbows and unicorns and chemistry and butterflies and, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, dancing in the rain behind trees, right? We're talking about, you know, as a Bollywood reference, by the way, everybody who's listening. (laughs) Right. It's like, think about, I'm always playing the long game. I'm never playing the short game. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, again, you want to be attracted to this person, right? But the attraction doesn't have to grow. And I think love ultimately between two people is wanting what's best for the other person. Love is a verb. It's not a noun. It's not a feeling. It's an action. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And so how do you see relationships affect health? You know, I know this is a sort of a little bit profoundly. Yeah. How, how do you see it? How, what have you seen in your experience with so many people? I'm curious to hear. I mean, I think in the Harvard grant study, which was one of the longest longitudinal studies ever done. And it was done on, I think, 238 undergraduate men that started at Harvard in the 30s. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it was a 75 year long study. But what that showed a number of things that what and the goal was to measure what made these men happy. What made them happiest was the depth of their relationships with other people. Right. What made them most miserable was alcoholism was a very big factor in people. And what they also found is that you, when you are in a good marriage, you will be healthier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So marriage, a good marriage. Look, I'm not, I'm the extraneous, exogenous things can happen as well to people that have a great marriage, which are horrible. But in general, a good marriage, and you're the physician here, but I would assume mm-hmm. if you're not living in a state of cortisol, and fight or flight all the time, and inflammation, it's probably way better for you if you're peaceful. Right, right. Yeah. No, I mean, and and there's so many studies that show that the more connected you are, the more that you have positive, supportive relationships, the healthier you are. It has all kinds of positive outcomes. And the opposite is also true. We've seen that in numerous, numerous studies. Um, And so I think that you, you really can't, you really can't think about your health without thinking about your relationships too. I'm a strong believer in that. I think that it's all connected. And if you think that just eating a quote, clean diet, you know, controlling all your food, exercising, you know, five times a week, all good things for your health. But if you have crappy, shitty relationships that are not supportive of you, that are negative, that are toxic, you're, none of those things are going to help you because like you said, all your hormones, you know, you're going to have cortisol all the time. Your stress response is going to be on all the time. That all causes inflammation. Inflammation is linked to every chronic illness. So I don't care how healthy you are as far as how healthy you're eating or how much exercise you're doing. If you don't have healthy relationships, you don't have health. So the data is there and the experience is there. I think many of us have probably experienced that. And many of the people who are listening you know, I'm sure that if you take a look, a little introspection at your life, you will see how the positive relationships uplift you and how they have positive effects on your health. And the vice versa is exactly true too. So 100. And I love that you said that. And it kind of ties back to the concept of elevator people. Sometimes people are like, well, what do you mean? Like people in an elevator or an elevator pitch? No, it's based on the verb to elevate, to lift up 
people that lift you up and make you happy. They and they keep you grounded, right? The opposite of an elevator person is a basement person. So right. what you were just talking about, those toxic vampire people, they're like basement people. Get rid of the basement people in your life and focus on people that you feel are supportive and just good for you and they have your back. And when you really evaluate the people that are in your life, you know, I think Michelle Obama says so um so beautifully in on becoming that, especially as women, you know, you think about, she thinks about her friends sitting around a kitchen table and she says, there's your kitchen table will change over time. There will be people at your table the whole time. There will be people that will leave your kitchen table, but who's at your kitchen table? And I'd say elevator people, elevator women, if you're looking for female friends, those are the people that should be at your kitchen table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And your partner should be there too. I think that's the whole point here is that your romantic partner, your life partner, whoever, however you want to define that, they should be able to sit at your, at your kitchen table as well. Because I think that many times we separate those and that's not to be separated. Of course, yes, you should have your friends. You should have your romantic partner. You should have both sets. But that romantic partner should be able to sit at that table as well. I think that's really important. You know, it's funny, Avanti, when I gave the TED talk and I was Mm -hmm. milling around in the audience kind of outside afterwards, and there was this beautiful young girl and she came, or a young woman, and she came to me and she grabbed my arm and she says, my husband is not an elevator person. What do I do? Do I leave him? And I said, I think you need to sit down with him And you two need to talk about what an elevator person is for you and how he can become an elevator person for you. Open up the dialogue. I gave you a tool today to do that. Blame it on me. Do the exercise. And she was like, oh, okay. So quick to potentially say, well, he's not an elevator person. So do I leave? No, you don't leave. Are you being an elevator person? If you're ready to unplug and give it a DNR, Right now? No. Right, right, right. No, exactly. That introspection. And I always say, you know, uh, when I'm, when I'm talking about all these things that affect your health and your life, I'm not saying that you should go blow up your life that, you know, oh, the relationships in my life are toxic or they're not, you know, positive. I'm not saying, you know, leave this person, that person. That's not the point here. It's to take a look at it and then have the conversation, set boundaries, set expectations, right? This is, this is part of that process. And then if you do have to leave, that's, that's another conversation, but it's not the idea that, oh, they're not right away the elevator person I leave. I think that's a great point. Thank you for saying that. I think that's super important for us to consider. And so, I mean, I could sit here and talk to you all day and we will do it again. (laughs) This is so so. much fun, but I have a couple of of quick speed round questions. Is that okay with you? Can we do that so that people can get to know you a little? Okay. So complete this sentence. Love is a verb. It's an action. Love Love it. What's one myth about love that we need to change? That it's a feeling that it's butterflies and chemistry and dancing in the rain behind trees. That's lost. Mm. Yeah, I love that. What's something that people often get wrong about you? (laughs) Um, (laughs) A lot of times, when people have seen me on videos or on camera, 
when they see me in person, they're like, you're really small because I'm barely five foot three. So I think the camera gives a bigger like image. I'm like, I'm not 5'10". I'm little. (laughs) (laughs) What book is on your nightstand right now? Oh my God. I can show you the seven books that sit here on my desk with me. The book that I really want to read right now is Dr. Shafali's new book, The Parenting Roadmap. So I think she's phenomenal. And I think that she really helps me to stay more centered as a parent and to be a conscious parent and not my kids are not supposed to be mini me's, but to be themselves. So um, I'm really looking forward to diving into that. That's great. I'll have to look it up. What is one thing that you're deeply grateful about right now? So many things. I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for my health. I'm grateful to be doing work that I find profoundly meaningful and impacting. And I'm grateful to have so many elevator people in my life. Mm, I love that. This feels like a good place for us to end our time together. And so I have one last question that I always ask my guests. If I offer up the phrase to catalyze healing, what comes up for you? Love. Bring more love into your life. Love yourself more. Become aware of all of the people that love you. Sometimes we lose track of that. And think about how many people you are bound to through love, especially when we're single. 48% of Americans are single. We think, oh, I don't have love in my life. Look at all of the people that love you and start to heal based on just knowing that. I love that. Bella, thank you so much for doing this with me. I I have learned so much from you and you have just sparked so many thoughts in my head that I'm going to have to think about. I'll have to go back and listen and take notes myself. But thank you so much for doing this with me. I really appreciate it. Oh, I'm deeply grateful and honored to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Anytime. We'll do it again. I hope so. Absolutely. Thanks again for listening to The Healing Catalyst. If you love what you heard, please hit follow and pass it along to a friend. And if you're feeling really inspired, please rate and review so that others can find this podcast more easily. To learn more, head to avantikumarsingh.com. And to connect with me directly, find me on Instagram at avantikumarsingh. I'll be back next week and hope that you will be too. Until then, remember... With the right catalyst, you have the power to activate your own healing because healing starts within.